0: baseball season is here it's time for the arrive early leave late podcast i'm your host bethel duran and today baseball centric we're going to cover the dodgers with jorge Castillo, angels with maria torres and we're going to go around the national perspective with our national baseball writer andy mccullough that's right we're going to go a little bit longer today the arrive early leave late podcast is going to stretch it out not to the seventh inning stretch we're going all nine innings it's a baseball preview coming your way It's Wednesday, March 27th. Before we get into what the regular season grind is going to be, which is every three days you're on a plane following the Dodgers around as a beat reporter. What's it like living in Arizona for six weeks in spring training?
1: Arizona's not the worst. I mean, I did Florida for like four spring trainings. So relatively speaking, it was a lot better. Just the Cactus League is better. The traveling isn't the worst in terms of, you know, the drives from stadium to stadium, but yeah, I mean, by the end of it, I just wanted to get out of there.
0: Exactly. And I think the players were the same way.
1: Yeah, they were good here about giving me a week off in the middle. So okay. that helped a lot. But about the last few days there, I was just like, get me out of here. Like, who are you? And the players, same
0: way, even the fans. Yeah. I went there a couple weeks ago and I stayed in Scottsdale and I forgot that the Dodgers play in Glendale.
1: Glendale. Which
0: on the map, it doesn't look far. But on the one highway, oh, it was an hour.
1: Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is like big. So yeah. like sprawling. So it's like you think it's not that far and then you realize it is and... There's a lot of construction and stuff, but I mean, it was good. I just happy to get out of there.
0: When you look at the Florida state league, the grapefruit league, the teams out there are spread out. Yeah. In Arizona, they're all in the Phoenix area, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of LA fans out there. And I went out there and games were sold out when they played the Reds, when they played the White Sox. And, It just felt cool for the fans to be out there. And I'm telling people, you know, you're watching guys who are going to be in double it right now. But the Dodger fans are so excited just to get a glimpse of their team. Have you learned to understand a little bit of the rabbit fan base that the Dodgers do have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have. (laughs) Coming from D.C. where, you know, the Nationals have a nice little fan base, but it's a young franchise. And D.C. is kind of a weird city, a lot of transplants. So being here, you notice, you know, just the history, man. It's like people, generations, you know, of fans and the people that have played for that team and stuff. So you notice that. And obviously in spring training, all the games sell out. So it's over the last five, six months, it's one of the big things I've learned.
0: Now, this is going to be your first season exclusively covering the Dodgers on the beat. Last year, you showed up during the middle of the playoff run. you would cover the Nationals for a while. When you look at this Dodgers squad, let's just get the generic question out of the way. How would they do in 2019, Jorge Castillo?
1: Well, they should win the division. And that's the thing. Like, a lot of people were saying, hey, they didn't go out and get Bryce Harper. They didn't go out and get a big, splashy name in the offseason. But they didn't need to. (laughs) I mean, this... The NOS is not good. And I mean, last year they took them game 163, but they were not good last year, you know, by their standards. And they still won a division, you know, six straight division. So this year it should be seven unless something crazy happens and somehow the Colorado Rockies win the division or something. But the division's not that good. So they'll be in the playoffs again.
0: How was Dave Roberts this spring?
1: Good. He got a new contract, so I'm sure he's feeling a little more secure now with the contract extension. It seems at ease. The big move they made there in the offseason was trading Puig and Kemp. I think that helped the clubhouse out a lot. I think it's a different vibe in there now. So, seem to be in good spirits.
0: Why do you say it's a different vibe?
1: Well, I wasn't around a lot last year, but my impression was that this team's a lot different. The clubhouse just not having Yasiel around. and
0: You sound like Plaski now. You're a Yasiel hater.
1: No, I'm no, no, I I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, again, <laughs> again, like, I'm going off conversations that I've had, you know, on off the record. No, because
0: the Dodger fans love to say that Plasky hates Yasiel and that he takes it personal with him. And we had this conversation with Plasky on the previous podcast. But Yasiel is a lightning rod. Either you love him or you hate him. And I've been on the side where he loves me one day and hates me the next day. And I don't know where I'm at with him. And I see the way he's treated people great. I saw how he treated people really bad. There's just something about that guy that he can't get out of his own way, but I could see why the clubhouse would be different without him. And that's what the impression you got?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was tough to deal with. And I think by the end of it, the Dodgers, they kind of figured out how to deal with him um, last season. Towards the end, he was playing hard and stuff. And stuff that you just kind of take for granted, you know, players should be playing hard. But with him, it wasn't always the case. So I think just a sort of an addition by subtraction there. Their off-field depth isn't what it was last year. But, you know, they got a guy like Rodugo a prospect, coming in. He's going to be their fourth outfielder. So they're fine there. So, yeah, I think that puts Roberts at ease a little bit. Less babysitting, I guess, in the clubhouse. So that's a good thing.
0: These teams, when they walk into spring training in middle of February, there's some teams that are, hey, we're going to surprise people. And you know that they don't really believe that. There's some teams that know that they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel and guys are just going through the motions. Talking to some people with the Dodgers, they said the organization always expects to be playing in October now like that's the attitude like if they don't it's a failure that's got to be something different too where you walk in and you just say you know what, we're gonna be there watch out for us
1: yeah i mean obviously six straight division titles two straight world series appearances i mean this is a veteran team they're deep they're very good they're in a bad division and they should win you know they should be in october and that's how they kind of plan things out i mean clay and kershaw not being the, you know the opening day rotation they're, they're thinking forget now like we need him in the playoffs
0: What's the deal with Kershaw?
1: Bump shoulder, and it affected him last year. That's why his slider wasn't very good. That's why he was more hittable last year. And it's probably something he's going to have to deal with this season. It flared up on him last month. They're taking it easy with him. I think he'll be in there by the middle of April is sort of the projection right now. But it's something he's just going to have to deal with.
0: What was he like to deal with this spring?
1: He's fine. I've never dealt with him before. Uh, He answered questions. He obviously doesn't want to talk about his situation. He's one of those guys, you know, he's very competitive. You can tell right away. He reminds me a lot of uh, Max Scherzer in that regard, who I covered with the Nationals. So he answered questions, you know, it's pretty much every day. Hey, how how was that bullpen? You know, live BP. Yeah, He didn't throw in a curveball today, you know, that kind of stuff. So he was professional and it's a situation that he doesn't want to be in. When you
0: look at spring training, what's your routine? What is your day like? Because it's completely different from a normal regular season. So take the listener behind the scenes.
1: Wake up too early. <laughs> Usually clubhouse is like eight fifteen, so you try to get there at half hour before that. In the uh, morning. Yeah, in the morning.
0: We get into sports so we don't have to wake up early, bro.
1: Yeah, man. So it's like <laughs> it's like it's not starting on Thursday, you know, for the rest of the season. I don't have to wake up that early, basically, except for some day games. So it's kind of just strange schedule. I mean, spring training is just way too long. Spring training was literally created for guys who weren't working out during the off season back in the day. This is a full time job. So get there at like 8 o'clock, whatever. Do 45 minutes, an hour in the clubhouse. You know, if you any interviews, get guys. Soon after that, Robert speaks. There's a workout. and go out back and watch the guys work out. You know, bullpens, live BPs, batting practice. And then after that, there's a game.
0: You don't stay for the games, do you?
1: No, we do. Yeah, but... You stay for the whole game? Yeah, but we actually... I mean, I was only in the press box for the actual stadium a couple of games. Usually just during the media room watching on TV. Because it's kind of a long walk between the clubhouse and the stadium. So when the pitcher comes off, the starting pitcher... You talk to the starting pitcher during the game. Oh, really? Yeah, because they leave because it's spring training and so, they want to get out there. So
0: say Kershaw pitches three innings. As soon as he's done, he talks to you and yeah. then he goes home? Yeah. So do you go home too?
1: No. We st- <laughs> we stay through the end, man. I'm trying to take care of you. No, because so, then Roberts talks after the game. So you still go home. I actually left. The only time I left early was actually Saturday, their last game there, because Roberts left too. So I was like, I don't have to be here.
0: Yeah, and people were saying, I go to work, I work 9 to 5, but I'm trying to get you behind the perspective people here because in spring training, you're not going to interview number 84 at a game. So just trying to see what you do back there. And it's a lot of developing relationships too, right? Where if the guys see you there every single day, they're going to actually open up a little bit more to you, wouldn't they?
1: Yeah, that's the hope. and. I think it happened a bit here. Like they just—it's not even just like talking to them every day; just them seeing you. They kind of respect that and, and realize, you know, it's October and there's a million people around. They'd be like, "Oh, this guy's been around since day one," and you know, I'll give him an extra minute or so.
0: My day one fans, right there. Here we go. When you think about the stars on this team, you know, Puig was the guy that a lot of fans were buying his jersey. Camp had his fan base. Justin Turner, you wrote an extensive piece about him. Like I said, if they don't win a World Series for LA, it's just not anything that you can talk about. Because you have to win the title for LA. What was it like talking with Turner for that piece?
1: He's a good guy. For me, it's just a remarkable story. I covered him when he was on the Mets in 2013.
0: When he was on the bench.
1: Yeah, when he was a bench player, and they non-tendered him that winter. Actually, so it was kind of weird, and we we knew each other from back in the day. That
0: goes back to like the relationships. Yeah, skills, he, like, right? he
1: remembered me, and we talk and stuff. So his story is just crazy. I Man, I think it's one of the most like kind of underappreciated stories. This idea of you know this guy was pushing 30 and he turned his career around, became a superstar in his hometown. In this market, the way he's revered, um, the way he's played, it's just a crazy story. So for me, it was just the story, you know, obviously about a guy, an L.A. guy who was trying to win a World Series for his home team being so close the last two years. Also a guy who's 34 and he's kind of defying convention here. You know, baseball's getting younger and younger. Front offices are deciding, you know, once you hit 30, man, you're downhill. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to sign you to that deal. What do you think you are? That kind of thing. It was funny when I talked to him about it. He's like, hey, man, like, these teams are, for some reason, they think everyone who's over thirties like, sucks. And it's like, that's not the case. I mean, he's an example. He's, he's one of the best hitters in baseball, and he has been the last, since he's been here, since five years.
0: Not too long ago, Justin Turner used to go to Laker games in a Laker jersey and sit, like, in the 200 level. Or, sit, you know, like, that's when he was with the Mets. Now the dude can't go anywhere without getting mobbed. Right. And testament to the hard work that he's put in and the change in his hitting approach and you wrote a story about the development of these new hitting coaches. The Dodgers front office has decided to... They no longer have a hitting coach. They have a hitting
1: strategist. Well, he's a hitting coach. Robert Van Skoyak is the hitting coach. Okay. And they have a hitting strategist, Brent Brown. So they have two titles.
0: System. They have two different guys.
1: Yeah. And then they're basically like co-heads. And, you know, it's like a hitting... A hitting coach and hitting strategist. They call it the hitting department, which is kind of just fascinating in its own right. So it's a hitting wait, wait, department. Wait, you're serious about that? Yeah, they call it the department. The whole idea is...
0: Like, we have an HR department. We have a right. PR department. The Dodgers have a hitting department.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a new term being thrown around. But the whole idea is the last 10 years, baseball, the pitching side has, you know, all this data is going into, you know, into pitching and pitcher usage. All that is going on the pitching side and hitting has been left behind. And, um, you know, baseball's trying to change the rules to have more balls in play and all that stuff to make it more exciting. It's Because, you know, pitchers are striking out guys because they're throwing 99 miles an hour. Everyone's throwing 98. So the whole idea is have the hitting side catch up. And the crazy part is that, you know, this guy's, they hired him when he was 32 years old. Who's that? Robert Van Skoyak. He's the hitting coach. They hired him in November, 32 years old, never played pro baseball, had two very forgettable stints in JUCO and community colleges here in California. You know, he's younger than Justin Turner. And like, so when he got hired, people were like, who's this? So that was kind of what I attempted to do is kind of figure out who he is, his lineage, why he was given this job and what the idea is. And basically it's the, to use all that data, the video, to help hitters sort of catch up and be better.
0: And then who was the other guy?
1: Brent Brown's the hitting strategist. So these guys all...
0: And you can go and check this out on the LA Times yes. website. It's all archived. Jorge did an excellent job profiling these two. I'm just try to get the cliff notes here.
1: They all go back to this guy named Craig Wallenbrock. 72-year-old man. Yeah. So they all like under his like tutelage have you know become like hitting coaches. Brent Brown used to work with this guy out of a sort of a warehouse. Van Skoyak got lessons from him in high school. So he's known Brent Brown since he was in high school, 15, 16 years old. So... The whole idea is to use this data to um, have these guys kind of patch holes so they're not like susceptible to certain pitches and whatnot and just be complete hitters, I guess is the. Just for me, the crazy thing is, you know, baseball is a very traditional sport and Brent Brown played the major leagues. Ben Skoyak didn't play any pro ball.
0: With the Dodgers organization, they're very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. And when I went to spring training, I saw the bullpens the guys were throwing. And it used to be guys were throwing a bullpen and you'd have a coach behind them and a guy standing there. And kind of, you know, messing around. Now there's machines behind each player. There's a machine between the catcher and the pitcher. It just looks so robotic. Baseball is changing. It's transforming. It's not what you grew up with. Definitely not what you grew up with a couple of years ago. It's not what you came into when you are covering the Mets. How are the players reacting to this?
1: So the thing fans, Skoyak, so if you're listening to this right now, like why is this guy the hitting coach? Well, his most successful student is J.D. Martinez, who over the last few years has become probably – not the best hitter in baseball. He's, he's up there. He's turned his career around and Vanskoyak was his guy. That was He was his coach.
0: As a private hitting yeah, coach.
1: Yeah, he's a private hitting coach. Andy McCullough wrote a story. He caught up with J.D. Martinez and he talked to him about Vanskoyak and Martinez was like, hey, I learned more with this guy. I never played a pro game than I did six years with the Houston Astros who he began his career with. So he swears by this guy. So that gives you credibility when you go into a clubhouse and, you know, one of the best hitters in baseball is like, yeah, that's my guy. I mean, Vance Skoyak had been a hitting consultant with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. Last year, he was a hitting strategist with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, And then also, they signed A.J. Pollock, who was with the Diamondbacks. And I talked to him, and he was like, yeah, this guy, he knows his stuff. I would have him over in my house to hit in the cage before games. So that helps.
0: It's interesting to see the evolution of the game. And like, there's a lot of people are like, oh, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. People used to be scared of cell phones. People used to be scared of the computer. Mm-hmm. The evolution of the game. At the end of the day, though, you still got to have guys... To have that mentality of, let's go out there and let's just beat up the other team.
1: Yeah, this is an extreme example of the best players aren't usually the best coaches or, you know, GMs or whatever. Michael Jordan's never, once he's the owner of the the Hornets, he has not done
0: Magic as a coach.
1: Yeah, oftentimes the best coaches aren't the best players. So this is a very extreme example of that. But he has credibility in that clubhouse. Guys believe in what he's saying. They think he's good at his job and we'll see if it matters.
0: When you go and you look at this team and you're going to be around them a lot and your social media is...
1: Jorge Castillo.
0: You get your own name?
1: Yeah. I, no way. Yeah, so uh, when I was at the Washington Post, I had somebody like, contact Twitter. And, oh, you got a guy? Yeah, hey, I, I had a guy. And, uh, <laughs> no, but the, some dude had it, and like, he hadn't tweeted in years. And I was like, can I have this Twitter handle? Because I used to have my middle initial C, so it would be yeah. two Cs. But All right, look at you. You're I cleaned legit. it up.
0: All right, Jorge Castillo cleans it up at the LA Times. When you do get into the grind of the season— do you know what you're getting yourself into covering the Dodgers on a full-time basis with the expectations and the fans in the city?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've kind of noticed it, you know, these these few months. I, mean, I know it's going to get a little crazier now with the season starts and I'm writing every day and covering real games and stuff. So I had an idea just kind of being here in L.A., being around a lot of people like wearing, you know, Dodgers stuff. and You notice that? It? Yeah, it's a lot more prevalent than in D.C.
0: The baseball preview, uh, the LA Times, is that a good one. Uh, the podcast, we're getting a preview, but I don't think you're ready for opening day at Dodger Stadium with... Fifty five thousand people. I don't think you're ready for the traffic.
1: Oh no, I'm getting there early, man. (laughs) I'm getting there early, I'm leaving late. Is that wait isn't that what we we arrive early, leave late. That's what we do here. Jorge Castillo.
0: (laughs) Appreciate you. Good luck to you this season on the road and we'll be checking in with you. We'll be calling you. We'll see what you have to say with us.
1: Hit me up. I appreciate it.
0: Jorge Castillo must follow for Dodger fans all season long. He'll take you behind the scenes into the clubhouse and let you know what the Dodgers are up to. He'll be traveling with them. It's called the Beat Reporter. First year on the beat for him with the Dodgers full-time. And with the Angels, we've also made roster moves here at the LA Times, covering the Angels for the first year exclusively. Maria Torres is our guest now, right? Your name, Maria Torres? It's Maria Torres. We got that for sure. You have got it. What's your full name? Maria what? Maria del Pilar Torres. Maria del Pilar Torres.
2: Can you not roll your R's?
0: Torres or Torres? No. Ew, what? You never heard that? <laughs> tours? Look, my name is Beto Duran, right? Uh-huh. I've heard Beto Duran, mm-hmm. Bert Duran, which is my alter ego. <laughs> uh, I've heard all kinds of names. What have you heard growing up in Georgia?
2: Uh, Marie. Marie? Okay. Mariah.
0: Oh, me and Mariah. Yeah. Go back like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Those are the main ones. All right. Yeah. So
0: you grew up in Georgia? Yeah. You went to Georgia Tech?
2: Oh, no. Come on uh we've discussed this already i went to the university of georgia you're a proud
0: was, bulldog as you're rolling <laughs> folding your arms right now don't yeah. get mad
2: we just met don't get mad at me no here. i'm not mad at you i know why this is coming up exactly. dave
0: it's your first uh, appearance <laughs> on the Arrive early leave Lay podcast so before we get into the angels the team you're going to cover let's get a little background on you here
2: this is just my second year as a beat writer I covered the Royals last year for the Kansas City Star. Okay. Before that, I was a prep sports writer there. So, this is basically year three for me. You're on the fast track. Yeah. <laughs> it's been pretty quick. Okay, that means
0: you're good. If uh, the LA, no, no. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, let me say it for you. You are an excellent writer. I have read your stuff before. I actually used to read you when you're in Kansas City. Oh, cool. Is, well, because when you're in this world, you should know what's going on. So, I'd always read the previews where the Royals were coming to town to play the Angels. So, I was like, okay, you always... You see the clips, and you're like, okay. And then when you see a Latina name, you're like, oh, who is this person? And you just take pride in who you are and where we're from and we try to help each other out. So when you come to town, how did you end up at the LA Times?
2: Angel reached out to me, our sports editor. Yeah, he reached out to me in like late July or so and we just kind of started talking and I came out here for an interview in August and ended up starting here mid-September.
0: It's one of those cases of you never know who's writing, who's watching, who's listening, right?
2: It was crazy. I was definitely not expecting to hear from the LA Times like 4 months after being promoted to be the lead beat writer on the Royals in Kansas City. So
0: Did you think he was messing with you?
2: No, I didn't think he was messing with me, although maybe I should have. You ever been to California before? Once, when I covered the Angels here when
0: I went <laughs> to the Angels-Royals series here last June. Well, welcome to the LA Times. You're
2: a baseball fan? Yeah, I grew up watching the Braves in 7th grade and then I kind of just moved on. People ask me, why do
0: you ask them if they're a baseball fan? Because there's a lot of people that cover a certain sport. That don't know anything about it, but they're excellent writers. Yeah,
2: if you put me to cover the NFL, I'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Like, I mean, I like college football and I've enjoyed watching the NFL, but football is not really my sport. Baseball is the one. Yeah, baseball is always the one.
0: So you got done in spring training, getting ready for the regular season. It's our baseball preview. Jorge Castillo was with the Dodgers in Glendale. You were with the Angels in Tempe. Spring training is a different beast because the regular season, you wake up at noon. Yeah, right. Around that time, you can sleep in and you get to a park around two o'clock and you have the entire day. It's completely backwards in spring training. Do guys want to talk to you that
2: early in the morning? Oddly enough, there are a lot of people who are there way early. I mean, I think maybe it's just like part of their schedule then to be up by six and be in the weight room by seven and running around doing all their drills before. And spring training is when they're most relaxed anyway.
0: Before we get to one of the guys that's there super early putting in the work, Mike Trout, you wrote a story this spring training about a player that nobody's ever heard of and Baby Shark. And I bring (laughs) that up because it was probably one of the most read stories that you had in spring training. And these are the kind of stories that you got because you added something where the player told you in Spanish that you were able to use a translation. So tell me about Baby Shark and the Angel Clubhouse.
2: Okay, well... So this pitcher, his name is Forrest Snow. He's from Washington. He's like a journeyman, 30 or 31 years old. He comes to the Angels for the first time and he's in the clubhouse setting up a piano. And this was the week before the baby shark thing. Anyway, so he's setting up a piano and he's just like explaining to us like he's like this classically trained pianist and he loves to play. And he's going to do this for his like intro to the team.
0: Players have to do an intro who I am, right? It's an angel thing.
2: Yeah, it must be an angels thing. So he did that and he found out he was assigned right after that performance uh, presentation on sharks because in his introduction, he described to his teammates that he was a biology major and a marine biology minor in school.
0: And all this is for real?
2: Yeah, this is for real. Because
0: baseball players like to lie a lot.
2: Yeah, I don't think this is a lie (laughs) at all. I saw the presentation. It was pretty good. Okay. All right. (laughs) So anyway, he uh, was assigned this project and he was like, all right, I'm going to take this to the next level. And he just wanted to make it as funny as possible. And so he came out. And this guy has no shot of making the team. No, definitely Minor league, career right, minor leaguer. Okay. Exactly. So he comes out dressed in a shark onesie. It's a blue and white shark playing the baby shark theme song. From there, it just launches into this presentation on sharks. And it goes from the types of sharks you'll see, the number of shark attacks that are, you know, resulted in deaths. What else is part of it? Like the production of sharks, a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was a great, great presentation.
0: That's why I like reading spring training stories, because... I respect and admire the reporter so much because you're trying to get something that nobody else has. And Albert Pujols and Trout are going to get a lot of notoriety. But if you're the middle reliever or if you're the fifth starter, are you really
2: getting any kind of attention? I've noticed that just in the terms of social media attention on certain players. Like if I'm not writing about Pujols or Trout or Matt Harvey is a new one. For the most part, those aren't going to get as much attention.
0: And they have. Like Cole Calhoun, love watching him play. Mm-hmm. Anderson Simmons love watching them play. They have great ball players out there, excellent organization, good front office, good people behind the scenes, excellent broadcasters. And I feel that, you know, these guys should get more attention. But then if you win and you produce, that's how you get it in this town.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like Simmons is a really good one to bring up just because he's like a very like chatty person and he likes to talk to people in the clubhouse, but he doesn't really like to talk about himself. So if there's a deep dive on Andrelton Simmons, point to it because I'd love to find out more. Hey, I'm here to
0: help. I'll find a way. <laughs> and when you walk into that clubhouse also, you speak Spanish, don't you? Yes, I do. Fluently or? Fluently. You just, okay. So mm-hmm. you under like I speak it, I understand it, but there's sometimes I'm getting lost. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are saying sometimes. Mm-hmm. But That ability to be a baseball writer and speak and interview these guys in their native language, how much of an advantage is that for you?
2: It's huge. I mean, a lot of teams, like, emphasize English lessons for Spanish speakers, so... Most Spanish-speaking players don't need translators, Mm -hmm. but there are a couple who prefer or are more comfortable speaking Spanish and then have a translator. Then when you have that translator, things just get lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, the lost in translation thing is not a cliche. So it's an advantage to me to be able to know exactly what they're saying because if they say something and it's not picked up by the translator, then I have something that no one else does. And second, like, I don't need a translator. I could just walk up to them any time I want to and just sit down and have a chat. Mike Trout. Love him.
0: Stud. Huge contract. What's he like when you deal with
2: him? He's kind of reserved, too. And everyone knows this. He's a pretty boring guy. Like, most of what you know about him is that he, he loves the Eagles. Mm-hmm. He loves the weather. Likes to chase weather. And loves baseball. That's pretty much it. I think in that order. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: He's an interesting guy where he yes. really is that small town guy. So yeah, when, is that really the, the not, attitude, I guess? Yeah,
2: like the not much to him. I don't mean that like in a negative way at no. all. I think he's like, that's exactly who he is. I think he presents himself exactly the way that he is.
0: Yeah, it's I don't need attention. Like his signing a huge extension came at 10 o'clock in the morning like while the team is practicing. That way you couldn't talk to him, and make a big deal about it. That's so Mike Trout, <laughs> where it just, the less attention, the better. This clubhouse, though, so when you look at it, when you get them onto the field, how can they compete this year?
2: They need their starting pitching to step up. I mean, they just need to not be injured. I think if they're not injured, they're going to be better than they have been in the past. I think that's the number one flaw for them, is that they've just been devastated by Tommy John surgeries and Whatever there is that could possibly like affect a pitcher, and they just need to be healthy on that front.
0: Matt Harvey was a big deal when he was with the Mets, and with the Angels, he's not—what was his nickname? The Dark, the Dark, Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. What kind of nickname does he have
2: now? He's not the Dark Knight, right? <laughs> yeah. He's not intimidating. He's trying to find his career, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he is. The resurging— the Resurging Knight? The Resurging Knight. I don't know. It's kind of boring. I don't like it. I like Dark Knight, but he's not the Dark Knight anymore.
0: No, no, he's not the Dark Knight, but the angels need him to perform.
2: Yeah, they need him to be the Dark Knight. That would be great. If he could really like recapture some of his magic, the angels maybe wouldn't be that bad off. But, but he's not even like 23-year-old Matt Harvey who could no. blow a 98-mile-an-hour fastball by you. Like he's, I think he'll be
0: 30. And 30 in baseball, that's old now, especially the way that financial stuff is going. If you're over 30 and nobody wants to sign you, yeah. you see so many pictures available on the free agent list.
2: Dallas Keuchel. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just an interesting time in baseball. And I think Andy McCullough, who's going to come up later in the podcast, I'm asking this about the reporting world. Do you use advanced analytics in your reporting? Because- most people my age are like, I don't know what a Batpip and a Warren. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to without sounding like a statistician.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like if I use them at all, I have to like explain them, and like explaining them is such a chore. Like I try to just find a way to massage it in. I feel like Wins Above Replacement is a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like that one. Like that one can at least like show to people the value of a player. So I mm-hmm. believe that one. It's a good one to use all the time. Exit velocity is pretty cool. I I mean, it's good to know how hard a baseball players playing yeah. baseballs. There's a certain ones
0: that are, okay, those are cool, but I kid you not, and I'm not sounding like that old man that get off my lawn and... When I grew up, we used to play. Like, I know the games must advance, and I like it. There's different things. Like, putting wins for a pitcher is just, like, dumb now because if if a guy can come in and throw one pitch, you get to win. Uh, But there's also got to be that balance of using the analytics and then also telling a story there. That's why I wanted you on the podcast because you're somebody younger. You understand this world Mm -hmm. compared to me where I cared about 20 wins and the batting average of a player and RBIs. Like, now those stats are out the window for
2: a lot of people. Yeah, because it's all luck-driven, really. Right. Whereas you have, like, other things. Things like OPS plus so that measures production in a better way, but do you have to use some of this stuff in your stories? I don't think I have to. I use it if I want to, like try to quantify like okay. a point I'm trying to make.
0: Because in the end, the day it's just baseball,
2: right? It's just baseball, exactly. I think that's a good point.
0: There's a lot of people who want to be the smartest person in the room when it comes to this stuff and I <laughs> like, and I'm trying to keep it as simple as
2: possible yeah, as somebody Can you throw a ball hard? Can you hit it far? Like, yeah, hit, like really, ball, hit ball far. Yeah. Throw a
0: ball hard. Like, <laughs> like sound Neanderthal about it. But when you look at these front offices too, you have guys with degrees from Ivy League education or mm-hmm. guys who are rocket scientists, literally. Like some people out there are rocket scientists. And now with Angel's new manager, Brad Ausmus, he's thinking a much different way than the the previous manager and Mike Sosha mm-hmm. was thinking do you see that change
2: yeah I think there's a lot of emphasis on analytics in the in the Angels Clubhouse now I mean at They've got a new pitching coach who is using technology to measure spin rates and that kind of stuff, and they're emphasizing pitch shaping and all that other really fancy... Pitch shaping? shaping. Yes. What does that mean? I couldn't tell you (laughs) in layman's terms. I don't even think I could really explain it to myself. Okay. (laughs) Well,
0: then there's your uh, assignment for the rest of the (laughs) season. There you go, yeah. Write a story about pitch shaping? Shaping, yeah. You did write a story about their new pitching coach. Yes. And what he's bringing and how some of these players... That are younger are adapting to them while some of the older pitchers are still not resistant, they just don't quite understand. Right, it, right, exactly.
2: It's like it's a totally new frontier for them. The Angels didn't really have this kind of stuff for them before. Are they one of the last teams to adapt? I don't know if they're one of the last. I, I don't really know. But it's been a while for them. It has been, but it's been like the last couple of years that teams have started to implement this. So the Angels and several other teams did it for the first time this year.
0: This is the first season where you saw those machines. Yes. When they're throwing a bullpen, like you see the guys back there. They're yeah, using exactly. It. Yeah, you wrote a story about how one pitcher mm-hmm. just... Threw a pitch in the bullpen and then went back and looked at the machine and moved his fingers around and was like, oh, That's all you need
2: to do. Yeah, like they have a laptop plugged into this video camera that's positioned right behind their heads as they're throwing a pitch. And if they want to replicate that exact pitch, they can look at the video and see where their fingers are positioned on the baseball.
0: Instead of just saying, how did it feel? Let me try to replicate that. Here's the actual data
2: to show you. Yeah, so that way you can really honing it in. It's 2019. I mean, if you're not
0: trying to find a better way to advance yourself, you're getting left behind. Yeah. You're And the Angels, I think for a lot of years, were in the dark ages with some of their advancements.
2: Their decision to go after all this kind of technology and use this analytics has influenced like the acquisitions that they've made like matt harvey they saw something that um, they're not going to say because they're never going to say it but they saw something in matt harvey that they really liked that they think they could draw out of him with the help of new pitching coach doug white and all the technology well they just made a move for a pitcher chris stratton okay chris mm-hmm. stratton,
0: and you wrote that they found something in his spin rate
2: yeah exactly like a, like he has a gosh i don't even know how to explain it. so he has a curveball that spins more than three thousand revolutions per minute Um, And an average spin rate on a curveball is like 2,500 or something like that. If you've got a spin rate that high level, then you should be throwing that curveball like way better than it's coming out. So
0: they're thinking they're going to take a chance on this guy. Yeah, exactly. When you graduated from Georgia, did you think you'd ever write about a spin rate?
2: I had no idea.
1: What
2: would you major in? Journalism. You did want to be a writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You wanted sure. it to be in the press. Yeah, I wanted it to be in the press. I don't know, like the print, like when I started at Georgia, we still had a newspapers major, but that was like my very first year, and then they changed it. So okay. the newspapers didn't exist
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, here at the LA Times, the newspaper exists. It's growing, it's thriving. Thank and God. we are evolving. Our editors are thinking outside of the box. That's why we have a sports podcast. Mm-hmm. There's videos, you can check that out. Maria Torres, your social media is Maria underscore Torres three. Do you have an Instagram too?
2: Same one. Same one? Mm -hmm. All right.
0: So you're putting on Instagram, like, the road travels and different stadiums?
2: You'll see pictures.
0: All right, cool. So for the young people, go to Instagram, follow Maria underscore Torres 3. The old people like me, we're going to go to Twitter, (laughs) Maria underscore Torres 3, where we're going to try to figure out what's going on with the Angels all season. Maria, appreciate you as always. So for Maria, who's covering the Angels on a daily basis, now let's get the national perspective. Andy McCullough, you used to be a beat writer, and a beat writer is a person that travels with the team sees the team more than you see your family. And now, Andy McCullough, you've been promoted the national baseball writer. So that means you never have to go to baseball games ever again, right? More or less, yeah. I look at this as an early retirement at 31. 31, you get to retire. Yeah, that's So you know what? The way that baseball is going right now, 31, nobody's going to sign you. That's right. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get forced out. Yeah, it's good. How was your off-season in of
0: spring training, Andy?
3: It was fine. It was different, you know. Having done the beat for the previous nine years, I mean, you get used to the rhythm of going to the same clubhouse every day and seeing the same faces every day. And so I was definitely doing some different stuff this spring. Spent some time in Arizona, spent some time in Florida talking to a lot of different people around the game and just kind of getting a sense for what the season's going to be all about. So it was a good challenge. You know? Obviously,
0: yeah. your paycheck is with the LA Times, so your stories were LA-centric, but with a national yeah. perspective. You went to Florida to write about Clayton Kershaw. How? Why? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think... If you try
3: to think about how to write about the Dodgers without writing about the Dodgers, I guess, look at things through an L.A. sort of prism. I thought CC Sabathia was a really interesting case because, you know, I covered CC Sabathia with the Yankees, and I remember I was there the first year when his stuff really backed up and his performance really suffered, and that was in 2013, and he's been a pretty useful pitcher since 2016, but in the middle, there were three pretty difficult seasons for him And so I thought it would be interesting. You know, there's a lot of comparisons between him and Kershaw. They both made the majors at 20. If you look at innings they've thrown since over the next 10 years, they're pretty close. They were both, you know, workhorses, guys who pitched on short rest in the postseason, guys who were ridden hard early in their careers. And I thought there'd be some interesting parallels there. And basically
0: guys that threw hard,
3: guys that threw hard. Yeah. And Sabathio, people don't remember this now, but he was a guy who threw 95, 96 harder than Kershaw does, you know? And so I thought it was interesting to talk to him about his evolution from a guy who threw hard to a guy who was still trying to throw hard to a guy who has learned to live with what he has and slop more or less yeah I mean like cutters and change ups and like trying to get bad contact rather than miss bats but it was a challenging process for him and he had to really like get his head kicked in for three years before he really started to work.
0: I was reading that story and I listened to CC's podcast that he does mm-hmm. now and he talks about how he used to be the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Now he's just, you know not smoking mirrors, but pretty much. Right. But then that's yeah. everybody that's a baseball player right. or a basketball player. You're dunking out of the gym and then sure. you know your old man game and you have to right. be stuck to the ground. As Kershaw realize that he needs to make that transition. I think he has,
3: and I think he's made some changes in that regard, but it's what a lot of these guys say, you know, Andy Pettit and CC Sabathia, Dan Heron, Jared Weaver, guys who lose velocity. It's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to implement it. And Sabathia talked about how at times, when he would be pitching, he would be going well, and then he'd be like, alright, you know, I got this, I'm back to being me, and then he would go back to doing the things he had done in 2009, 2010, when he was still elite, and that's when he would give up a home run or something. Something like that. And so I think this season is going to be a really interesting test for Kershaw to see if he can take what he knows he has to do differently and actually implement it.
0: That's going to be a real challenge. When you walked around different clubhouses, whether it's in Arizona or Florida, they know you. Andy McCullough, LA Times, what are you doing here? I get
3: that question a lot. Actually. Aren't you the Dodger guy? Like, <laughs> what are you working on? What are you up to? Yeah, I get that question a lot when I talk to guys who I've seen before. They're like, "You still work for the Dodgers?" I go, "No, I never worked for the Dodgers." Yeah, but guys yeah. don't know the difference. They really have no clue. But yeah, it helps to have. I usually just say, "Searching for a purpose." Uh-huh. You know, just like looking for meaning in day to day existence. I mean, that's my usual answer.
0: Okay, and you, then and then they don't deep ta- here, all right? Yeah,
3: then they don't want to talk anymore, and so it, it ends the small talk. It's good
0: when you look at the Florida. <laughs> spring training experience, it's different, right? The teams are so spread out two, three hours away from each other. I like Arizona where a lot of Dodger fans they go and it's right around the corner. Angel fans are right there in Tempe. It's a good, fun experience. Florida just seems like the players are like, I want to get out of here.
3: Yeah, I mean, Florida, I did it for four years with the Mets and Yankees and it's awful. And I remembered it being awful and then I went back this year and was like, this, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, just driving three hours from Tampa to Fort Myers or something like that in the middle of the night. Not the middle of the night, but at like 7 p.m. when you've been up since 7 a.m. The travel's tough. And so, yeah, it's like.
0: And I know people listening are like, I don't care about it. You're still going to baseball games. Yeah, but it's still a grind. No,
3: I mean, I—I I mean, whatever. I, I i love my job. I'm just saying it, it sucks driving three
0: hours. It, it, you know, look, imagine this. You're in L.A. and you're going to San Diego for a spring training game. Right. Hopefully somebody talks to you for five minutes.
3: Right. Yeah. And do that every day. Yeah. Yeah. People have tough commutes and all that stuff. But like, you know, it's Well, that's
0: why we have arrive early, leave, late exactly. podcast. Exactly.
3: Exactly. That's what you so you can listen to
0: this. What did people say to you about the Dodgers? What's the impression you got? I mean, the general sense
3: when you talk to teams is that they're going to be very good. There is a question of whether they will be able to get over the hump. I don't think teams view it as if their window is closed, but basically just like, what is it going to take for them to actually win a World Series? And it's really just about executing once they get there, which has been the problem the last two years. So there's a lot of respect. You know, a lot of these teams are trying to do a version of what the Dodgers are doing. They're just loading up on arms. I mean, the Dodgers... Try and defeat every problem with volume. So, like you see this spring, Rich Hill's hurt, Clayton Kershaw's hurt, Walker Bueller's being held back, and it's fine because they have Ross Stripling, Julio Urias, Brock Stewart, um, you know, Dennis Santana. They have good, useful arms that allows them to take their time with guys coming back from injuries. And I think teams across the sport are trying to do that. It's just it takes time you can't do it overnight you can't do it just signing a bunch of veteran guys to one your deals you need guys with options you need guys who are under team control you know they need to be cheap so lots of teams are doing that. Lots of teams are trying to do what they're doing in terms of positional flexibility. You know, you see this outfielder needs to learn how to play third base, you know, that sort of stuff that they have naturally with guys like so Taylor and Hernandez. what Dodger fans
0: are complaining about. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yep. <laughs> the rest of Major League Baseball is trying to copy them. Oh, get ready. In five years, baseball is going to be awful. I don't
0: even think five years.
3: <laughs> I, it, why do you say awful? I mean that facetiously. So I came here from Kansas City, right? Right after they won the World Series. Yeah, just left immediately. Left on a high note. But the Royals ran out the same lineup every day. Right-hander, left-hander, good pitcher, bad pitcher, same batting order, very little change. Same nine guys, same order. I don't think you're ever going to see that again. Like, teams just, it just doesn't make sense. And the Royals did that because they had nine good players. They didn't have ten. They had nine. (laughs) Teams understand how unlikely it is to get through a full season doing that. And so... They want to optimize. They want to put guys in the best situations. And so they find the guy who can play three positions and try and get him 400 bats. The Yankees are doing it. The team with more financial resources than anyone else didn't sign Manny Machado this offseason. They signed DJ LeMahieu. DJ LeMahieu is a second baseman, but they already have Anduhar and Glaber Torres and Troy Tulowitzki and Greg Bird in the infield. So DJ LeMahieu was signed just to rove and to play third base, to play second base, you know, sometimes play first. And like that's becoming the norm now.
0: With baseball, I grew up playing it, loved it. At one point, we all thought we were going to be Fernando Venezuela and pitch for the Dodgers, right? When I covered the Dodgers for a lot of years, got to see the team that was consistent. Towards the end of me covering the Dodgers for ESPN Radio, I started seeing the changes Mm -hmm. in what was happening. Now I go as a fan, and I'm not trying to sound like that old guy, (laughs) and I'm only 40, but I don't recognize who any of these guys are. Yeah. And with the change, of the rosters. Right. The overhaul, the way that the Dodgers running guys every 10 days, the Mm -hmm. way they're able to manipulate the farm system and the rules. And that's great for the front office. Right. For the fan, it's tough. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as a fan, don't you want to have your team playing in October? Yeah. I mean, it gets down to, like, sort of an existential question.
3: Like, what is the purpose of this endeavor? Like, number one, it's to make money for the owners. That's the number one purpose of the endeavor, right? Number two, is it to build a product that your fans care about? Or is it to build a winning club most teams think that if they build a winning club fans will care
0: dodger fans are different they're going to show up no matter what and
3: so the dodgers can afford to not have the same lineup every day they can afford to do things without deference to what the not even casual but like the non-obsessive fan cares about because it just depends i mean do you think it's the better business strategy to build a team that consistently wins 95 games or to build a team that has Eight to 10 players who fans love and buy the merchandise of and whatever. Which one leads to more money? It's tough. Which one does better for your owners?
0: And then down the freeway in Anaheim, you have stadiums where there's 20,000 people watching the best player in baseball. Right. (laughs) And they gave Mike Trout a huge contract. He's probably underpaid for what he got, for what he brings. And you wrote a column about this, how, yeah, they signed Mike, Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. I mean, I looked at it as like, it was a
3: commendable, but it's the easy thing. Mike Trout has never won a postseason game. They've already squandered the first seven years of his career, but he's played three postseason games, and they're not particularly close right now. Yeah, there's a nice future if you build around Trout, Shohei Otani, Joe Adele. Shohei Otani has taken about 350 plate appearances is coming off major elbow surgery. Joe Adele's 19 years old and has played like 20 games above A ball.
0: So Joe Adele? Yeah, he's
3: a good outfield prospect. But it's like every team has a good outfield prospect. Not every team has Shohei Otani, but every team has a good pitcher and a good hitter.
0: Now that you're a national perspective guy, Trout signing with the Angels, what was the reaction?
3: I think the general perspective was it made sense. I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to leave. He seems very comfortable there. And the money, while he is probably underpaid, it's also, you know, it's 360 more million than he had before. What you've seen this offseason, and this happened in the last week or so too, is like a lot of these superstar players are taking extensions. And I think what they are seeing is kind of what ha-
0: extensions instead of going to free agency.
3: exactly yeah so paul goldschmidt signed with the cardinals and chris sale signed with the red sox and alex bregman signed with the astros and and you know there's a bunch of these there's a whole run on them in the last week or so really and i think a lot of it is players accurately reading the landscape of basically being like when i get to free agency what's going to be waiting for me and if the team where i'm playing now and i like is willing to give me generational wealth then i should take it and not basically risk everything in order to theoretically get 10 million dollars more in four years it's funny i once asked a player what's the difference between 150 million and 200 million dollars like really you know what is the difference and he was like 50 million dollars you're like oh (laughs) (laughs) i think players are moving away from that mindset where they're understanding that there's a huge difference between 150 million dollars and 50 million dollars
0: take the guaranteed money
3: are the owners cheap? Are the owners squeezing the labor? Yeah, of course. That's what they do. Like That's how capitalism works. Is, you know, the owners control the means of production. So, like, players are recognizing, I think, that there are opportunities to get generational wealth and they should take them.
0: You've covered the Mets? Mets, Yankees, Royals, Dodgers. So your job now is going to be fly around the world? Hopefully, yeah. Japan? Venezuela? Maybe Venezuela, yeah. Okay. Could do that. I mean, I think it's still going to be a lot of
3: things on the Dodgers and a lot of... Dodger centric stuff, stuff like the Sabathia story, you know, looking at the Dodgers through a slightly different lens. But yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot written this winter about the labor situation, about rule changes and all that stuff. I find a lot of that stuff, honestly, really tedious, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I haven't asked about it because who cares?
0: I haven't asked about war and BAPIP and and uh, <laughs> all that other stuff because I don't recognize it. Yeah. You're a advanced analytics guy, aren't you? I am,
3: but I think I use it to bolster arguments rather than be the sole source of it, I guess. Like, there's
0: some writers, and I'm going to say it, they're younger and we know who we're talking about. They don't work at the LA Times, who are writing stories with so much analytical yeah. information. in I didn't take economics for a reason. <laughs> I didn't take math classes in college yeah. for a reason. I want to read about a guy who is upset at the manager or at the team. Tell me human interest stories. Yeah, Are stories it, about people. And I think that's why we love baseball. Yeah. It is a generational thing where you tell stories about a certain player. And yet, maybe the numbers help you over the years. Like we all know Hank Aaron's amount of home runs mm-hmm. and the, the band and everything, all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, he could throw far, he could hit sure. far, he could Ricky Henderson and his style. Right. Is that getting lost now? in the baseball journalism storytelling.
3: I'm 31. So I'm not exactly. You're you're washed up. Oh, I am washed up, but I'm not exactly old by conventional standards. But I think a lot of younger folks who came into the game in terms of writing came in through the analytical side rather than the journalism side. Like I'm passionate about journalism. A lot of people got into baseball writing because they're passionate about baseball, which is fine. You can still do good work but i think there is something being lost in that regard when you find the coverage of a team is dominated about like spin rate or framing
0: if I never read another catcher framing story, I'm okay. I'm with you. The only
3: catcher framing story I want to read is a bunch of pitchers on the record saying they hate their catcher.
0: That's good. <laughs> I, I'm all for it. I'm, I am all for animosity.
3: I love reading about hate. Yeah, we like human drama. You know, you like guys saying interesting things. Like I thought this guy Noah Syndergaard from the Mets like popped off at his organization yes. the other day for like making them go to Syracuse for a weekend. That's great. That's the stuff I want to read about.
0: That's why your C.C. Kershaw story was really interesting because he also threw in there that all this new fangled stuff that they have out there, at the end of the day, just go throw the damn ball. Yeah. Like, just throw it. Just pitch. Yeah, and I think there
3: are still those stories out there and I think you know, that's kind of the void we're looking to fill is to just write
0: about people. Okay. So if you want to get back on the podcast, don't write about analytics. Don't write about labor shortage. Don't write about business. Don't, yeah. I don't want to hear about TV deals. I want to hear about guys that hate each other.
3: That's what I'm trying to do.
0: Okay. That's what I'm trying to so, do. Uh,
3: you might have me back on the podcast in a couple weeks. Okay,
0: You might be on every single week. I was telling Jorge to steal this. Plaschke gets big numbers on the podcast because he tells stories. It's the arrive early, leave late, let me go behind the scenes. let me go into the clubhouse, let me go into the locker room, let me know what's going on on the field. I don't need a calculator for a podcast.
3: I think analytics has a place. Yes, it does. For the it's, front office,
0: let them do the but job. It's
3: useful, like, if you're writing a story about Mike Trout, it takes a sentence to use analytics and say, this is what his war has been over the past seven years. This is what he's had every year. He's never played with a teammate who's been half as good. That's like two sentences. That's it. And you just use it to make the rest of the point, I guess. It's like a supplement rather than the
0: focus of what you're writing about. Are you going to dodge your opening day? Yeah, I'll be there. How cool is it?
3: It's fun. You know, you get to see all the luminaries, all the celebs come out. Dylan Hernandez. Nah, we're going to edit
0: that out. <laughs> it's something special at... Dodgers opening and I'm not saying yeah. this as somebody who grew up in LA having been to many different parks where you see opening day I know Cincinnati they have a great one mm-hmm. I've heard Toronto fantastic but Dodger Stadium because the fans show up at 8 in the morning in the parking lot I mean uh, Elysian Park down the mm-hmm. street and you can't leave until 8 o'clock that night anyways mm-hmm. but when that stadium is filled that fourth deck People don't understand how cool it is to be in Chavez Ravine.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a special building. There's a ton of history there, and you see it during the postseason. It sounds different than a lot of places. I mean, lots of places sound loud, but there's a vibe there that is really unique. So it's a privilege to be able to cover stuff like that.
0: How come Mike Trout can't get that kind of noise at Anaheim? Well, his team stinks. Are they going to be bad this year? They're going to be mediocre.
3: They're going to be like somewhere from like 75 to 85 wins, probably on the— No playoffs? They will probably be in contention for the second wild card into the second half
0: because the AL is terrible. Okay, so the Angels are mediocre, Dodgers
3: are— Good. They're going to win the division pretty comfortably, I would say, and, you know, they have a good chance to get back to the World Series. The Phillies, I think, are going to be pretty good. They had a really good offseason. They got Harper, JT Realmuto, Gene Segura is a good player. The Cubs are probably the most interesting team because they could go a lot of different ways. The Cardinals are going to be good, but you know, the Dodgers they don't face much material pressure from anyone in their division, so I think they'll win somewhere like 95 games and win the division pretty easily.
0: The Dodgers front office is interesting. It's different. They have a hitting department, they have a hitting strategist. <laughs> they have They don't have a GM, but Brandon Gomes was pitching in the Major Leagues 3 years ago. Like
3: 2 years, yeah. Yeah, now he's in the AGM. I you know, I don't know.
0: How is the Dodgers front office functioning? How do they work? Because it just seems like very secretive.
3: They're still trying to sort out how they work because they had a pretty set system with Andrew Freeman and Farhan Zaidi in terms of responsibility and stuff. When Zaidi left to run the Giants this offseason, that's a pretty big void to fill. So they've kind of chopped up Farhan's responsibilities and parceled them out to various people. So Brandon Gomes takes a slice and this guy, Jeff Kingston, they hired from the Mariners takes a slice. This guy, Alex Slater, who'd been in the office, takes some. And so it's kind of like basically... The way it had been was that Andrew Friedman was the final say on things but Farhan Zaidi had a lot of room to make decisions on his own and do things. And now basically the buck completely stops with Friedman. So Friedman's been in charge of this obviously since he got here in 2015 but he lost his number one sort of lieutenant and just the bandwidth to replace him has been spread out.
0: Interesting organization. It's yeah. not what you grew up on Dodger fans but <laughs> do you know this that they are trying their best. To get to the World Series. Uh, You know, their best. They're trying. Really? Not their best?
3: No, they're not trying their best. Why
0: not their best? Well, because then they'd have like a $500 million payroll. Oh, see, I knew how to get you. I knew how to get. Well, you. I mean, because you were always good. Then I knew if I say their best, they're not trying their best. No, here, here's why. Here's why I said that right there. Yeah. Because having gotten to know you a little bit, whenever I say somebody's trying their best, you always like no. Well, <laughs> because then you're because then you're saying that they're doing everything within yeah, their power. Yeah. All right. Here yeah. we go. And now we the podcast can start. They're not. They're absolutely not. I'm right there because you wrote about how they should have done more. I think their offseason was fine, but they should have done more. They
3: could have done more. Yeah. They could still sign Dallas Keichel, They could still sign Craig Kimbrel. They could have gone more aggressively after J.T. Real Muto, mm-hmm. um, who they let go to a team in the Phillies who might be their chief rival over the next five years for the National League supremacy. You know Why didn't they? Uh, because they don't like to give up more than they think a player is worth, whether it's in terms of money or assets and trades. They like to behave rationally when they feel like they can. Andrew Friedman has a famous quote, that is, he said it at the winter meetings a couple years ago. It's basically like, if you are rational about every free agent, you will finish third on every free agent. And he said this after they gave out, I think it was 192 million to Rich Hill, Justin Turner and Kenley Jansen. Basically, like we had to behave a little bit irrationally to do this. So giving a closer, a five-year deal, giving Justin Turner, who was 32 at the time, a four-year deal, you know, signing Rich Hill, who was 37 to a three-year deal, et cetera. One of the things they try and avoid is putting themselves in a position where they feel like they have to do that. They don't have to do that. They're going to win the division pretty easily. They have a pretty good chance to get back to the World Series, but they didn't do everything they can. They're not blowing past the luxury tax.
0: Are they the smartest guy in the room? The way another person in
3: baseball phrased it to me was that if the Dodgers aren't thinking it, then they think it's not being thought. I think they're pretty smart. A lot of things they're doing with pitching, with roster construction, with how they manipulated the 10-day DL to the point where it got changed back to a 15-day DL. I think they're ahead of the curve on a lot of things. I do think the main issue would just be spending. You can always spend more. Ownership can always spend Especially more. Especially when you got it. And if you want to argue that they were smart in free agency to stay away from Bryce Harper or stay away from Machado, that's fine. But I'm not totally sure why they weren't more aggressive on JT Realmuto. Muto. Considered the best catcher in baseball. Catching was an area that they felt like they needed to improve because they were losing Yasmani Grandal, and they let him go to a team in the Phillies who's going to be possibly a real headache for them over the future.
0: Andy McCullough, national baseball writer for the LA Times. I want to go on a road trip with Andy McCullough and do a podcast, arrive early, leave late, behind the scenes with Andy, and I want to tell people what it is like following the national baseball writer.
3: Yes, that will be very sad. I look forward to that.
0: Hey, there you go.
3: Andy McCullough, your social media is? McCullough
0: Times on Twitter. McCullough Times. We'll appreciate you as always, Andy. We'll talk to you soon. Baseball really is a grind. It's starting in March, and hopefully for these teams, it goes through October. As always, the LA Times Sports section will have you covered. Not just with Maria Torres and Jorge Castillo and Andy McCullough, but our columnists will be out there. Our video department will be out there. Our social media squads will be out there. LA Times will have baseball covered for you. Whew, let me take a breather here. You know, I might need somebody out of the bullpen to finish up this podcast. Nah, nah, I'm going to finish strong. As always, the arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. Produced by Dave Wine. Engineered by Mike Heflin. Angel Rodriguez is the sports editor Fidel Martinez handling all the social media for the podcast as always go to the podcast page latimes.com slash podcast latimes.com slash podcast not just for sports but for all the podcasts the times produces I'm your host Beth Duran reminding you to rate review share subscribe let everybody know that the LA Times is doing the arrive early leave late podcast